Happy Friday! I'm reading chapter 37 of The Dragon Collector for you today. This chapter starts the setup of the events leading to the end of Act 2 and the final turning point that launches the story into Act 3. In this chapter, Javen finds himself in the middle of a massive, slow-moving crowd. Now, usually when I'm in a crowd, it's because I'm on my way to an event like a play or a professional ball game, or because I'm at an amusement park and navigating my way to fun rides. The crowds aren't fun, but the destination is. Not so for Javen. He's stuck in a crowd that is gathering to watch an execution. Even worse, the person being executed is his mother. Tune in to find out what he sees and feels and hears as he marches toward her execution with the crowd. It's Fantasy Fiction Friday! That means it's time for an escape break with author DK Drake. This is the part of the show where your host, author DK Drake, reads you a snippet of one of her stories. So if you're intrigued by a world where dragons exist and people live for hundreds of years, stay tuned for a show designed for sheer entertainment purposes. Still here? Fantastic. Prepare for adventure, for you are now entering the land of Xandador. Chapter 37. Execution Day. Subdued conversations, shuffling feet, and the rustling of papers eased Javen out of a deep sleep. Considering he had slept under the stars with nothing but a thick blanket separating him from the hard ground, he managed to get a decent night of rest once he returned to the campsite. Blocking out the memory of the beating he had witnessed proved to be a bit challenging when he first closed his eyes, but the physical fatigue was so overwhelming that it had conquered the emotional trauma. He stretched, sat up, and took note of the overcast sky. A few breaths of the humid morning air filled his nostrils with the smell of rain. The plan didn't account for rain. Would it matter? What adjustments would they need to make? And was it the normal, just-get-you-wet kind of rain? Or were they in for an ouch-the-stings red rainstorm like he had experienced when he first arrived in Xandador? Then again, perhaps public executions were postponed when it rained. Or maybe it didn't matter. Maybe they operated football game style and followed through with the killing regardless of weather conditions, even if the precipitation stung. Before Javen could work himself into a proper panic over the implications of the weather, Hamilton noticed he was awake. Morning, kid! Hamilton broke away from Ravier and Astor, who were studying papers and talking quietly on the other side of the small clearing. Hamilton didn't seem to think their conversation was all that important and plopped his massive body beside Javen. Ready for your big day? If I say no, does that mean we can go back to Gree? Hamilton smiled and slapped Javen on the back. Not a chance. That's what I thought. Javen rubbed his neck. Sleeping without a proper pillow left his neck a little sore. The personal massage helped ease the soreness, and he nodded toward the other two men. What are they talking about? Oh, just finalizing plans. You remember what to do, right? Yeah, I remember. At least he knew what to do right now. But what if his mind went blank come crunch time? A touch of queasiness gripped Javen's stomach. Now that game day was here, he was getting nervous. If he botched the play, it's not like his team would miss out on a touchdown. If he screwed up, his mother would lose her life. Any questions? Not at the moment. None that he wanted to voice, anyway. You'll do fine, kid. Plus, the three of us will be there to back you up. Now get up, pack your stuff, grab yourself a bite to eat out of that bag of deliciousness Hannah packed us. Hamilton stood. I'm off to feed the Octis. We leave in 15. The mention of Octis sent the butterflies in Javen's stomach fluttering. He wasn't sure if he was ready for this. He wasn't sure he was ready for this at all. After a short flight north, Javen, Ravier, Hamilton, and Astor stashed their octis beside a lake five miles outside of the city. 
The lake was a good mile or so from the gravel road leading into Japheth, so Javen had already worked up a sweat by the time they reached the edge of the road. Javen, put your hat on and stay behind me, Ravier whispered, donning a brown leather hat with a wide round brim. Aster, stick by Javen's side. Hamilton, you walk behind us and don't let either of these two get lost in the crowd. Yes, sir, Hamilton said. He took up his position in the rear while Javen secured his own wide-rimmed leather hat on his head. Aster moved to the side of Javen and linked his right arm in Javen's left. This way, I'll make sure you keep up with me, the old man said, smiling. I was worried about that, Javen said, returning his smile. But all smiles disappeared when Ravier looked back, nodded, and led the way forward into the crowd. They merged into the traffic on the road, looking as if they got there like everyone else, on foot. Javen was starting to wonder how much further they would have to walk when he spotted the high stone wall that protected the capital city. The wall was wide enough for soldiers to walk on, and Javen could see through the sunglasses he was wearing to hide his eyes that armed archers were stationed about every ten feet. From what Javen understood, they were trained to shoot anyone or anything that flew over the walls and into the city's airspace. The road itself was packed with swarms of people all dressed in drab brown clothes. Everyone who was able had been ordered to march in from the surrounding towns and cities, and the closer they got to the gate, the entrance to the city became one giant pedestrian bottleneck. Javen was feeling claustrophobic just looking at the crowd. They would be entering the city unarmed. No one was allowed entrance into the city while carrying a weapon. Ravier figured the guards would be extra vigilant about that rule today, so he had decided not to risk getting caught with weapons and left them hidden with the Octis. The plan thus called for relying on the power of persuasive words to save Esmeralda, rather than brute force. Javen had grown accustomed to wearing his stalker sword belt and felt helpless without his swords and stun balls strapped around his waist. He hoped Ravier's words were as persuasive as he imagined they would be. They stayed along the edge of the road and shuffled in silence toward the iron gate. No one around them spoke either. Were they quiet because it was such a solemn occasion? Or was there some law against talking while entering the city? Since he couldn't gauge the mood of the people by their chatter, he studied their faces. The young faces all around him looked eager, like they were about to walk into Disney World for the first time and experience the wonders of a whole new world. The faces of their parents were more stoic. They had been here before. They had seen the sights. They knew what they were about to witness. Javen only spotted a few older people in the crowd. They simply looked resigned, beaten, defeated. They looked like they were walking to their own execution. In a way, he supposed they were. Everyone was. That was the purpose of the day, to kill the spirits of the people. Hannah was right. The people did need hope. He looked forward to seeing their faces when they discovered they had something to hope for. File into lines! The command from a soldier in a black uniform marching along the entrance into the city jerked Javen's attention straight ahead. Prepare to be searched! No one enters the city without being searched! In front of him, the crowd began dividing into dozens of lines that spanned the width of the arched opening. A soldier was assigned to each line. Unlike the guy barking orders, they were wearing red uniforms. One by one, the people stepped forward, spread their arms, and let the soldiers pat them down from head to toe. No one argued. No one complained. No one dared make a sound. They just followed the rules like good little sheep. At least the unquestioned compliance allowed the lines to move quickly. Ravier made it through his inspection without a problem. Then it was Javen's turn. He stepped up and spread his arms. But the soldier, a woman with short dark hair and a square nose, paused her systematic pat-down procedure to question him. Why the hat and glasses? The sun isn't even shining today. He watched Ravier tense in front of him. They were all supposed to make it into the city without being noticed, and now Javen was being called out before he even stepped a foot inside the gate. If he didn't play this right, their entire plan would be ruined. I'm sensitive to the light, Javen said, dropping his arms and shrugging. I usually stay indoors all day, but my grandfather insisted I come. He wanted to make sure I saw firsthand what happens when you disobey the king. The soldier squinted, 
cocked her head and said, Arms up. Javen obeyed. He had to hold his breath to keep from laughing as she patted under his arms and down his sides. It was times like this he hated being ticklish. Once she finished checking his hips and legs to make sure he wasn't hiding any weapons, she led him through with a nod of her head. He waited with Ravier as Aster and Hamilton endured their inspections. They made it through without any trouble and once again fell into step with the forward-moving crowd. This time, though, Aster acted as a tour guide as they walked. This is the outer city, Aster said. It's three miles wide and wraps all the way around the inner city. Millions of people live in these houses and work in the factories that make things like clothes, shoes, and construction materials. Side street after side street looked the same. Tiny wooden shacks with flat roofs, built within arm's length of each other, lined the pebbled streets. Even smaller yards were nothing more than patches of dirt. No grass, shrubs, or trees were anywhere in sight. This place is depressing, Javen said. Do people really live here on purpose? If they're assigned to factory life? Yes. That's miserable. Does the inner city look like this too? Not at all. The inner city is flush with fountains, trees, flowers, and rolling hills of thick green grass. The buildings are much nicer, and it's a beautiful place to live. If factory workers live here, who lives in the inner city? Those favored by the Dark King. Mostly the scaleologists, intellectuals, and artists. This is my first visit to Japheth, too. A hunched-over man missing his two front teeth who was walking beside Javen joined the conversation. Exciting, isn't it? Finally having a chance to visit the capital city? I think so, a lady somewhere behind them said. I'm glad this Esmeralda woman was stupid enough to break the law. They're letting everybody who's nobody into the city today, and we didn't even need travel papers. That sparked conversations throughout the previously silent crowd. Javen had to work to ignore the hateful and demeaning things they were saying about his mother for the next few slow-moving miles. They were marching to watch her die, and none of them seemed to have any problem with that. It angered Javen, but it also helped him focus more intensely on his mission and what he needed to do to help change their warped perspectives. The chatter ceased once again as they approached the gates to the inner city. Soldiers were posted on these 20-foot-high stone walls as well, but this time the people didn't have to separate into lines to be searched. They were allowed direct access beneath a golden arch, and it was the awe and wonder of the visitors to the city that caused the calming of the chatter. The streets were paved with slate. Those that branched off the main road led to spectacular houses that sat atop slight hills covered with grass, flowers, and trees. Lakes dominated the valleys between the hills, and each one was enhanced by stunning fountains in the middle of the water. The most breathtaking sight of all, however, was the castle. It was straight ahead, a black stone building perched on the highest hill in the middle of the city. An array of towers, some round, some square, of differing heights enclosed the main building that, based on the windows Javen could count from the distance, was ten stories high and twenty rooms wide. Javen imagined the stone sparkled on a sunny day, adding to the castle's mystique. Are we going to the castle? Javen asked. He wanted an up-and-close personal view of the place. He had never seen such a castle before and was itching for a tour. As big as the place was, a tour would probably be an all-day adventure. No, Aster said. Executions take place in Stalker Square, right outside the castle gates. Disappointment washed over Javen as they walked up the gradual hill. He watched the castle get bigger and bigger the closer they got to it, and the desire to explore within its walls also grew with each step. Then he caught sight of Stalker Square. If you enjoyed today's Escape Break episode but don't want to wait to find out what happens next, click on over to authordkdrake.com. There you can become a DK Drake Insider, secure your free starter library, and access all the books from the Dragonstalker Bloodline saga that are available for sale on Amazon. In the meantime, I dare you not to dream of dragons tonight. <laughs>